Hey everybody, it's Heavy Ham. I'm here to talk to you about how easy it is to use Anchor to get your podcast out there. These guys are amazing to work with. They get you set up on every platform imaginable. Just recently I got set up on Google and Spotify and my listeners are coming in like crazy. It's free to get you set up with sponsors Like the ad you're listening to right now is for Anchor, the people that I'm podcasting through. It's amazing. So check them out. Go to anchor.fm slash start to get started or download the app through the Google Play Store or the Apple iStore. It's Anchor. It's free and it's simple. Podcast today. I can't wait to hear it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Heavy Ham, and for everything that goes bump in the night keeps you out of the woods, this is another Hamcast. Today we are going to dive into Dogman. Now, when we think about the Dogman, what comes to mind? What truly surfaces the cerebral cortex when you think of the dogman? For some of you, you've never heard of it. Maybe I should use a more appropriate term, werewolf lichen. Now maybe some images have popped into your nightmarish imagery for all those familiar with cryptids we have to be familiar with the term dogman and when we think of dogman one thing that (coughs) stands out all too often is this large nightmarish creature that walks bipedial with claws or hands not paws in the way that you would traditionally think of a canine now when I say claws a lot of people are like well you would think a canine to have claws but think of it this way these claws are able to grasp things okay so we've got five digits and they've got razor sharp claws on the end so let's go all the way picture Anubis now put really long hair on Anubis and make him 12 feet tall and make him really jacked up on roids that's what we're seeing out here in these woods most of the time now some reports vary some reports see just a really large dog like creature running on all fours some reports see the bipedal 
stance. And some, some see it transitioning. Why do the reports vary so greatly? Perhaps they vary in the same way that Bigfoot reports vary. There's different species, there's different clans or different tribes of dogmen. In this episode, I hope to scratch at the surface as to why it's possible for these creatures to exist. And hopefully, shed a touch of light on the dark issue that is Dogman. Now keep in mind, this is just one theory. This isn't every possible scenario. This isn't every possible explanation for lycanthropy or the lichens in the woods. There are many different theories out there. And there are many different explanations for why they could or could not be possible. It is up to you to truly do extensive research into this and every other theory proving and or disproving Dogman. That being said, let's dive into the legend of the Lycans. Much like every other legend, I began looking into Native American folklore and it was alarming that um, how adamant the, the Native Americans were about not having werewolves or dog or evil dog spirits in their in their folklore. Um, that was something that the page that I visit quite frequently and the people I speak to quite often were very, very, very vocal, was very vocal about. Um, It actually pointed out that uh, although there is the ever since uh, the dawn of Hollywood and the era of Twilight they've had a lot of Native American request on whether or not there's such things as vampires and um, werewolves in their legends. And while they do have certain things that would resemble vampiric in nature, there is nothing in their legend that states a wolf is evil. And so I did some more digging. As a matter of fact, 
um, in most Native American culture. And um, this goes all the way back to way before Native American uh, tribes started making several confederacies. I don't want to t- I don't want to get off on a tangent and uh, dive too far into that. That'll be for a different episode. Um, but there were several confederacies in the Native American world, um, such as which the Iroki tribe was a confederacy of five different tribes, and so is the Muskoki uh, tribe that was five different tribes that would get get along um basically once the Europeans came in and started running them off their camps um running them out of their settlements and telling them what they could or couldn't do they formed a confederacy to rebel against the Europeans and therefore you had one large tribe of five different five smaller tribes rebelling against the Europeans and I think that was pretty cool but anyway um, like I said a story for another time um, in much of the Native American culture the wolf is a sign of healing a sign of medicine um, I did however find that there was one such legend on this website of the Malmus, or the Mal, sorry, not the Malmus, the Malsum, my bad, bear with me guys, I'm having, I've had a rough few days, um, the other day, I have, uh, epilepsy, and the other day I had some neurological issues, so if I speak a little jumbled today, it's normal for me, but it might sound a little off to you guys. Uh, so Malsum is the legend I found. And um, now when it comes to Malsum, it was believed that this to be a Wabanaki, uh, Wabanaki myth. And even scholars, even still today, believe this to be a Wabanaki legend. Um, the problem with this is, is a lot of Wabanaki elders are ab- are dead set this is not a true Wabanaki myth. They're adamant that it's not. And uh, the more I dug, I found rumor that it dated back to the Mi'kmaq, but I dug through some Mi'kmaq legends, couldn't find any room, couldn't find any roots from the Mi'kmaq, um, there, um, was believed to be an Iroki, but you guys know that I've extensively talked about the Iroki legends, there's no mention of the Malsum in the Iroki legends. And then it was also mentioned as an Alaconian uh, legend. 
I'm not going to go so far as to say that I know a lot about the Alaconian, because there is a lot to know about the Alaconian tribe. Maybe more than one could possibly know for certain. Keep in mind, the Alaconian are descendants from the Lanape. And the Lanape, I don't think we'll really know all we will ever really be able to know. I believe the Lanape to be descendants from the Atlanteans. And so, um, yeah, I don't think we'll really know the full history on that. So, but I could not find any roots or truths to it being the Alaconian uh, myth as as well. Um, I did find, however, that the first, the first real mention, the first recorded mention of the Malsum was in 1884 by a man named Charles Leland. And he mentioned it in his book, the Alaconian Legends of New England. Now, here's where I have to interject, and I have to tell you a little bit about Charles Leland. I mean, this guy... Yeah, he's a European. Okay, so... He's got that counting against him. But... Technically, I guess you could say I'm a European. I mean... I'm not full Native American... None of us really are, unless you are full Native American, then kudos to you, but, um, you know, I think I've got, like, a very small percentage of Native American in me, um, very, very small, I mean, I know my grandmother was a quarter, so I think that makes me, like, what, like, one-sixteenth? Um, I don't know. I'm not even going to attempt the math, but, um, anyway, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bash Charles Leland. Um, he's no longer with us, obviously. He was born in 1824. He died in 1903. He was born. Born in Philadelphia. Let's see. He was an American humorist. He was a writer and a folklorist. Now this was interesting to me. Because he was really into folklore. Kind of like I am. I'm really into the folklore part of this whole. Let's unravel things. Let's tie into the folklore side of things. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, the problem I had with his method his methodology is he didn't just stick to um one side of it okay so which i get you can't just stick to one side you've got to you gotta look at all angles of folklore you gotta go you know i can't just stick to native american i've got to look at ancient sumerian i've got to look at ancient egyptian i've got to look at uh I've got to look at the gypsy side of it, or the Rome, or the Roman side of it. 
Gypsy seems a little ignorant and rude of me to say, but um, best way to find it online now is to type in Gypsy Gypsy text or folklore, and it takes you right to sacred text. Um, so look at the Roman text. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, uh, wandering Romans were considered gypsies. So... There's a little bit of trivia. There's a little bit of history for you. Um, Let's see. Okay, so he was exploring Native American and Roman folklore or gypsy folklore. As it states in the history about him. Um... But among his later years, he became very disoriented, very confused. This is when he started publishing more of his writings. And it is very possible that he got some of his research mixed up. That's why I believe that the Malsum was more of a Roman folklore than a Native American folklore. Not so much a Native American. Moving on. So I'm reading off my notes. I put this all into words so I could um, bounce through it for you guys. Um, I normally do this off of paper, but it was easier to put it into word this time. So, by definition, lycanthropy is the change of a man or a woman to wolf through magical means so as to enable one to consume human flesh. Or, through judgment of the gods as punishment for some great offense. Now, this is the popular definition. Okay? This is the popular definition. And it's seen throughout asylums worldwide, even to, to this day. If you are... If you believe yourself to be able to manifest or... I hate using the word manifest. But if you believe yourself to be able to manifest a dog form, or... No, not dog form. A wolf form... Even though we'll get into the dog form. If you're able, if you believe yourself to be able to manifest a wolf form from your body, you can be locked up for lycanthropy. Or if you believe yourself to be able to transcend into a wolf form, you can be locked up for lycanthropy. Still to this day, that practice is being initiated crazy right I would like to also interject right here that back in the 1900s there were at least from my figuring about a few hundred headstones where people were buried and their cause of death was killed by human wolves okay so there's that Were they really killed by 
werewolves. Were they killed by a human and a wolf? No one really knows because nobody's alive to tell the story and nobody can find the archive that tells the story of their death. It seems like their uh, encounter or their that period of archive is gone. It's been destroyed or it was mysteriously burnt in a fire or just didn't get logged. So I find that very interesting. Um, now among the ancients, we're going back to Samaria, back to Egyptians and all that. This kind of insanity, lycanthropy and all that stuff. And I hate using the word insanity, but for the sake of the text, that's what we're going to call it. Because um, I don't believe it to be insanity, okay? I believe this to be wholehearted truism. I believe this to be an actual thing. I'm putting my neck out on the line by saying I believe this to be possible. And I'm going to get into why I believe it to be true. By the time this is over, I'm going to explain. Now, among the ancients, this kind of insanity went by many names, not just lycanthropy, which, as we all know, is turning into the form of a wolf. There was also coanthropy. Which is taking the shape of a dog. There is also boanthropy, everybody, which is taking the shape of a cow. Now, for everybody's sake, um, I would like to interject here. A lot of people are scratch, probably scratching their heads at this point, trying to figure out why would anybody take the shape of a cow. Um, in those times during that era and especially in that um, especially in that setting cow is a really sacred animal um, still to this day in a lot of those cultures a cow is a very sacred animal so it makes sense if you wanted to live longer if you wanted to if you were facing execution to turn yourself into something that couldn't be killed that was sacred philanthropy you'd turn yourself into a god or an image of a god they wouldn't kill you so philanthropy would make total sense um why turn yourself into a dog rather than a wolf? Well, a wolf would probably be considered, um, in that day and age, would be considered the form of Anubis, which, as we're learning, was not... Um, when, when we were taught the ignorant history of... Um, 
or the Hollywood history, I should say, the Hollywood history of Egyptians. We were taught that Anubis was the god of the underworld. And uh, we're quickly finding out that Anubis was more or less the god of the god of fertility or the god of birthing and stuff like that. So I'm not sure how they would have felt about a wolf. I know how they would have felt about a giant dog man coming towards them. Um, I know that they did use Anubis in their armies as rebirth or as everlasting life. So maybe they wouldn't have seen it as a threat unless it seemed threatening. But I think a dog would have seemed a little less threatening than a giant salivating wolf. Um, so, um, coming, transcending yourself into a dog just seems more likely that you'd be able to roam the streets more freely. Um, again, you'd have to put yourself in the mindset of the people of the times and, um, you know, what would have been the norm for them. Um, and then again, in Africa, there was shapes of hyenas, which probably would have been closer to um, Anubis. Um, of course, in Africa, hyenas were ro roaming the plainlands and stuff. So, I mean, maybe it was what they were used, what they were used to seeing. Um, In North Europe, uh, their shape took uh, the shape of bears. That's not too uncommon. Um, bears were everywhere in the North Europe area around that time. So it would make sense that they would transcend into what they were seeing. Um, but was that really all that it was? Was it just... Um, was it them believing that they had the power of the animals they were seeing? Or was it them wanting to be the animals they were seeing? Where, where, does, where does this really go? It leaves one to wonder. Let's, uh, I do have to pull out my notes because I did not get all of it written down.
bear with me, just grabbing some notes. Okay, we're back. Found my notes. <clears throat> so, here we go. The way this works is now Herodotus believed the tribe of Neri to be sorcerers with the ability to change form once a year for several days into wolf form and then turn back to man. Another man by the name of Pomponus Mela mentioned of a fixed time where the Nurians would change to wolf at will and back to man for days at a time. Okay, now this would take, now these mentions of this would take place in the late winter months. We're talking February, early spring, okay. That's around the time frame that they, they were talking. So we're talking like right around, right as the dew is coming in. It's late, late winter, early spring time. Okay, so that's what, that's when they were talking about. And I find it odd that one, one, scholar back then was talking of a tribe that had these powers the other scholar back then was talking about the same tribe having the powers to, at a certain time of the year being able to go from wolf to man for days at a time now here, here's the interesting part of this okay as if that wasn't interesting enough the Nurians okay are made a lot of people don't know who the Nurians are now the Nurians were ran out of their um, were ran out of their land okay there's a lot of this going on back then by the way it's kind of alarming how many clan of people how many tribes of people were actually banished from their own land really alarming when you actually look into history, how many people were ran out of their own land. Um, the Nurian tribe is comprised of a mixed breed of people. Um, Greek, Roman, and Scythian. And perhaps that led to them being ran out. Maybe uh, the Scythians didn't agree with the interbreeding. Um, I know back then there was a lot of, um, we got to keep the bloodline clean, we got to keep this clean, we, you can't have inter, any interbreeding. I know there was a lot of that going on back then. Um, when you look throughout history, um, 
we deal with a lot of that. And I'm not saying that I condone it or I disprove it, but throughout history, there's a lot of, um, there was a lot of, staying within the tribe staying within the uh, confines of the bloodline to keep the bloodline clean even in the royal family it wasn't uncommon for incest to happen to keep the bloodline clean so the fact that Nurians were three different uh, bloodlines probably led is probably what led to them being banished from Scythia um, they were Roman they were Greek they were Scythian they were banished they were ran out of Scythia and they actually lived just on the outskirts of Scythia um, the place where they were rumored to have lived is actually still in existence today, I believe it's a town with the name of Nura in today's world. Um, N-U-R-A. Um, I may have that wrong. I may have to re-look it up. Um, so... Most of these sightings happened around, like I said, um, around the late fall, early spring. Now, when I go to North American. North American Dogman Project, which is a great website, everybody. I suggest you go over and check them out. North American Dogman Project. Now, I do have to say, and they do a really good job at documenting encounters, um, documenting possible, and they do state possible dogman tracks. Here's the thing. A lot of these tracks... I'm not convinced with um, some of these tracks could very likely be something else um, you'll just have to go on there and see for yourself okay you will you'll have to go on there and take a look at it um, just click the evidence and scroll down and take a look at all the evidence for yourself but um, some of these tracks could very likely be something else. Now, I'm not an expert on tracks. I'm not even going to claim to be. But some of these tracks, they're very big dog tracks. Uh, very big, very big dog tracks. And clearly, some of these are transitional dog tracks. Um, now, there are some on here. And you'll see them when when you'll see them when you see them that are clearly not made 
by a four-legged creature. Okay? If they were, they would not have the shape they had. Um, I actually showed a couple of these tracks to a buddy of mine, and he says, I've seen a track like that, and what made it was not a dog man. But I've been sworn, I actually signed a non-disclosure thing, so I can't even, I can't even talk about it. And a buddy of mine, this buddy of mine, I can't name his name, he's still active in the military, um, so kind of makes me wonder what he saw that made this track. My feeling about this particular track is that it's made by a reptile. It has that reptile feeling. It just looks more dinosaur than it does dog. Um, But it's clearly a fresh track. I'm not even disputing the fact that it's a fresh track. Um, So that's got me kind of on edge. It's got me kind of spooked a little bit that he knows something that he can't disclose that this track um, particularly on this website woke something up in him. Um, I had tape over the over the thing so he couldn't see the website I don't need this website getting shut down he asked me for the website I said uh, because you have a non-disclosure website I'm not disclosing a non-disclosure agreement I'm not disclosing this website I'm sorry I'm not trying to be an ass but I don't need this website getting shut down I like their content and I know how our government works you, sh- you know firsthand. um he goes, no, I totally understand. So, you know, he's pretty cool. Um, we've had lengthy conversations about other things that I'm not going to get into in this discussion. But, um, you know, we're both military folks, so... But this is a great website. I suggest all of my listeners who who listen to this episode go and check out their this website. It's NorthAmericanDogmanProject.com. Um, I'm thinking of supporting them, donating some money, whatever. I need to because I do believe that what they're doing is trying to get the truth out there. Like I said, I think some of these are just transition. Some of these are transitional. Some may just be misrepresented tracks, but they don't claim that they're all dogman tracks. They say possible because these are tracks that they found near dogman sighted sighting locations. So. Again, this is also where I found that there were um, 
headstones out there where men were killed by human wolves that gave me that threw me the bone I started digging even further found that there were at least a hundred if um, headstones out there where that um, phrase had been used so kudos to North American Dogman Project for helping me out on a lot of my for leading me down the right trail um, so my theory and the reason I did say before we were done with this I was going to give you guys a theory and tell you why I believe the dogman to be true and why I believe they could exist okay so for a long time and this has nothing to do with the fact that my spirit animal happens to be a wolf Okay. For a long time, I've always believed that if you truly wanted to be transcended into an animal, that you could do it. Um, like, I have a certain ability about me that if I want my eyes to be blue... I simply have to look at, like my eyes are blue and green, but I can push the green back and make the blue come forward, and I can make the green come forward and push the blue back. And people think it's creepy, but it's a real neat party trick. So all I have to do is I have to focus on something really blue um, it helps if it's like water or something that resembles water I had to just like look at something blue and think of water and I can make the green pull back to my eyes and then when I look at them my eyes are really blue and then I have to I'll look away and I'll close my eyes and I'll look back at something green really green I'll focus my eyes and I'll look back up at them and they're green again. And it kind of trips people out because they're not expecting it. So I truly believe that mind over matter, you can do anything, okay? That being said, we already talked about the timing in the ancient times where it was late winter months and early spring. Nowadays, the reports are coming in late fall, early winter. I've looked through most of the sightings, most of the reports from the North American Dogman Project. And while there are some areas that get sightings year-round, a good portion of these sightings are coming in during the late fall early winter and I think this could the distance between the time and I think the distance between the time and the reportings could simply be explained away by evolution 
Um, the cluster of sightings varying in size and in months could be because of the Nurians having three different, um, you know, three different markers in their DNA. Um, having Roman, Scythian, and Greek genetics, it could make it a little sporadic, um, especially having it broken down over the generations. Um, not knowing who's going to end up with that specific genetic marker. You don't know if it's going to be mom and dad or mom and son or daughter and sister or do- sorry, daughter and mother or daughter and brother or sister and brother. You know, you don't know who's going to end up in the family or if anybody in the family is going to end up with it. It might be your aunt or your uncle or your cousin or your sister. You know, and you never know until a certain time, kind of like puberty. Um, and that's why it's so sporadic, I think. Um, so a certain age happens, you start developing certain changes, um, a certain hunger or a certain thirst, if you will. Um, you start wanting to run a lot more, wanting to be out in the woods a lot more. You start getting a heightened sense of smell. And then the family all gets together, sits you down, and explains to you that you're a descendant from the Nurian tribe, and you're going to experience a metamorphosis, if you will, where your body is going to go through a very painful transition for the first time. But you can control it. You don't... Um, because like I mentioned, um, Pompanus said that it was at will. Maybe the first transition isn't, but that clearly did mention that it was at will. So maybe the first transition is involuntary, but after that, it's totally at will. So... You know, maybe they give into it. Maybe um, after their, that first transition, they're just like, "Oh, this is so freeing! It's so liberating!" And they just give into it and they run. Because I mean, who wouldn't who wouldn't love to be that free, that that soulful, that uh, liberated? Um, who wouldn't love to have the ability to just shed everything and run into the woods I would I'd love to have that ability I'd love to have the opportunity to just leave the world behind for a night or two and run with the run into the wild and forget my worldly possessions and be able to walk back into the world like nothing happened I think any one of us would. And I think that's why, as a society, we leave our troubles behind and go camping to be one with nature. But we forget that that's taking us to our primal selves. In their sense, 
they don't have to go camping. They're going back to their absolute primal selves as their primal selves. That makes sense. Um, and the reason you're seeing such a sporadic variation of sightings, whether it's oh, I saw a really large wolf, or I saw one that was running on all fours, I saw one that was 8 feet, 12 feet tall, is because it's like, like I said, it's like puberty. It happens different for everyone else. Um, a 6-foot male could ease... Um, have you, okay, for instance, have you ever taken a 4-foot dog and stood him up tall? Stood him up on his hind legs? How tall is that dog? easily one and a half to two times the size right okay it's the same thing for a six foot male if that six foot male then turns into a six foot wolf who's walking on his height who's able to walk on his hind legs he's going to appear 12 feet tall 10 12 feet tall same math applies in this instance so if a four foot child and I'm just saying, a four-foot child inherits the gene and the ability to turn when he, when they're four foot tall, decides to go running around in the woods as a wolf, and all of a sudden decides, I'm going to stand upright and walk around, it's going to look like they're six, eight feet tall. Why isn't it 12 feet tall like the one that my uncle saw? Well, because it's still a child. Makes sense? Okay. Well, that's that's my theory. Um, basically, my theory is that the dogman forms are not stuck in the size constraints of the human body. That a six-foot male can easily make a 12-foot dogman because when you stretch a dog up on its hind legs it could get one and a half to two times the size of it being on its all on its all fours uh, same for a four foot kid um, or a five foot woman um, now to explain away why they're invincible or appear impenetrable by um, bullets and stuff like that I don't think I don't know I have no theory as to that um, I would like to go back to the definition of lycanthropy um, through magical means maybe it's something to do with magic um, you know, maybe they've got some kind of protective barrier on when they're in that form. I don't know. I can't explain it. I haven't come up with a solid theory as to why bullets appear to hit them and not do anything. I do believe them to be a flesh and blood. Um, after doing my research on the Nurian tribe and believing the Nurian DNA to be in full swing today 
Um, but like I said, this is just one theory. This isn't every theory. This is just one theory. This is just one explanation for how they could be out there. There is a neighboring theory to this. Um, I was just talking to... I was, I was talking to a friend, and I mentioned this whole theory, and he says, well, yeah, that's possible. Um, the other possibility for the sporadicness is people are going out there seeing these things and knowing full well that if they spot one on a full moon and pour spring water into the track and capsule it on the next full moon they drink that or pour it into a cut they then inherit the genetic marker and I said that's science fiction and he goes if that's science fiction your entire theory goes out the window and I was like so you're saying that all I would have to do is find one of their tracks on a full moon, pour spring water into it, and drink it. And by the next full moon, I would have the ability to turn. He goes, by theory, yes. By the Lycan handbook, that is all you would have to do. I'm trying to track down this handbook because, obviously, I'm very interested in the dogman culture. Um, I've yet to find this handbook, and he's yet to provide me with such details that would uh, prove or disprove his theory. But when I do find it, I will add a segment to this. So, that is my theory. That is the surface of the Dogman, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. As I find out more information on the Dogman, or I come up with more deep, more uh, hair-raising, blood-curdling details, I'll be sure to share them with you guys. As always, I'm Heavy Ham. Y'all stay frosty. back everybody this is heavy ham another episode of hamcast for whatever goes bump in the night keeps you out of the woods keeps me talking with that being said let's just jump right into it last we spoke we were talking about dogman and that's not going to change anytime soon with all the strange events happening out there in the north carolina and the south carolina region i feel it only right that we keep talking about dogman and dogman related incidences um but before we just dive into the mysterious i want to give my condolences to the family of miss hamilton um out there in North Carolina, and to all of her students who are grieving the loss 
of such a fine teacher. My heart goes out to you guys, to everybody mourning the loss of this woman. From what I read, she was a wonderful person, a joy to be around. Um, For those of you who don't keep up on current events around the world, um, North Carolina lost a 77-year-old woman to a mysterious animal attack. Why is this relevant to what we're talking about today? Well, it's uh, interesting you should ask. This took place out in North Carolina in Beaufort County, which is actually not too far from Fayetteville, and many, uh, which is a very big hot spot for dogman sightings and according to the north uh, Northland Dogman Project uh, website um, even some attacks have happened within that area so um this kind of ring um, real questionable to me uh, the second I read it. Miss Ham- Mrs. Hamilton was a high school English teacher. I'm just going to read the entire article. You guys make of it what you will. Um, and we'll go from there. I'll tell you my thoughts on it as we go. Miss Hamilton was a high school English teacher at Pungo Christian Academy in Bellhaven. Investigators are collecting DNA from dogs in the area of the attack to determine whether one of them might have killed Hamilton as she took her morning walk. There are red wolves in Beaufort County and plenty of coyotes, state officials told the Charlotte Observer. The county of about 50,000 people is remote and rural, located in the coastal area where the Palmilco River spills into Palmilco Sound. Still, if it was a coyote that attacked Hamilton, it would be the first time ever in North Carolina that the unruly coyote population has been linked to the killing of a human, said Jody Owen, spokeswoman for the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission. In fact, There have only been two fatal attacks in coyotes in North America, and both incidences involved coyotes that were heavily habituated to humans, i.e. being fed, Owen told the Charlotte Observer. However, there have been multiple non-fatal coyote attacks on humans in North Carolina, including two last year in Davis County involving children. In March, a nine-year-old girl was attacked on her porch, and in May, a father and daughter were attacked and bitten in their backyard. A rabid coyote was captured and killed in north north, north of Charlotte in February 20, 2018, after her family filled it, attacking and biting their car in near Huntsville. 
State officials told the Charlotte Observer that it's highly unlikely that the attacker was a wolf. The only wolf known to live in North Carolina is the endangered red wolf, a species of the environmentalists have been trying to reintroduce to North Carolina after it was killed out of much of North America. This terrible tragedy almost certainly does not involve wolves, said the statement sent to the Charlotte Observer from Pete Benjamin, a field supervisor of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. There are very few red wolves remaining in Beaufort County, and based on the telemetry fight conducted the day before the incident, no known red wolves are located in the vicinity. Benjamin said Red Wolf has never attacked human during the 32-year effort to reintroduce them back to the wild. He said his office is working with the investigation into Hamilton's death. He believes this is more likely a dog that attacked and killed Hamilton, noting that data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that there are 4.7 million reported dog bites in this country each year. Now, real quick, I want to interject, because the original article, okay, the original article for this, this is an updated article, the original article for this, um, and I even have a more updated one that was just posted four days ago. The original article for this read that she was attacked um, by an animal and the injuries were severe. She later ended up dying um, at the hospital. I can't remember the hospital. Let's see if I could find the name of the hospital. Vidant Pit Hospital. Um, that there were traces of canine DNA, traces of canine DNA, but they had ruled out all local indigenous wildlife. They were going to continue their search of what animal may have attacked her by collecting DNA of the local domestic dogs to see if one or multiple dogs could have grouped together and taken this woman down. Now, I will note that this wasn't a girthy... Uh, I've seen pictures of Miss Hamilton. She wasn't. A, she didn't appear to be a girthy woman in her late seventies. She was a more fragile, you know, more what you'd expect a seventy-seven-year-old woman to look like. You know, your typical fra- uh, run-of-the-mill grandma-looking woman. Um, I don't know how she was personality-wise, but from what the articles read, she was a sweetheart, an angel, you know, your typical teacher-like person, so, that being said, um, once again, I'm not making this podcast in the hopes of slandering her memory or anything, I do 
send out my condolences and my most heartfelt apologies to the families and friends and the students of Mrs. Hamilton. Um, but I do think that the truth needs to be known about what actually happened here. Um, to this date, nobody knows exactly what transpired, what attacked and what ultimately devoured Miss um, Hamilton. Um, they haven't released her injuries to either the family or the public. They haven't released evidence from the scene to either her family or the public, which means we don't know if they found tracks that could point them in the right direction as to what kind of animal they're looking for. All we know is they found traces of canine DNA. And in the original article, it said possibly wolf or DNA. Now they're changing it up to where the only wolf in the area is red wolf and there's no way it could be a wolf. So... It sounds to me like they, at one point, they were almost certain it was a wolf, but now they're like, well, no, it can't be a wolf. You know, there's no way it's a wolf. And that sounded way more suspicious to me now than it did before. You know what I mean? Um, in the updated one that was just posted four days ago, it says, says the death of North Carolina school teacher Brenda Hamilton in a mysterious animal attack and again they're always using this this phrasing mysterious animal attack has been linked to an unknown animal with canine DNA unknown animal with canine DNA they're always using this that includes the possibility of a wolf coyote or vicious dog and this is from the Beaufort County Sheriff's. So this is the statement from the Beaufort County Sheriff's, okay? As of Friday, the investigators still had not announced the determination of what was responsible for her death. Little is publicly known about what played out February 15th on Indian Run Road in Pentago. The extent of 77-year-old Hamilton's injuries has not been released, other than to say that they were severe. And that she is in, was in critical condition before dying at Vident Pitt Hospital. So the the fact that even Beaufort County Sheriff's believes that this was not done by just one animal, it's they believe that it had to have either been a pack or something very large to have done this. Okay, and. They keep using phrases like mysterious animal or unknown animal with canine DNA. That leaves me to believe that they know something, but their hands are tied so they can't say exactly what they think it is. Okay? Um, And that's unfortunate because if this truly was an incident where she was attacked by a dog man and then we need to be alerted to that. We, we, the public needs to know 
that they're now attacking and taking people out so they could be more alert so they can be more well so they can be more frosty so they know what to look for so they know what to do so they can prepare themselves in other news um in South Carolina not too far from North Carolina in South Carolina another elderly woman about 80 pounds from what her neighbor said soaking wet that is had two boxer dogs and this is a strange strange event because she had these dogs she had these dogs from what they said from from infancy on and she would always wrestle with them play with them they were kind of like the neighborhood neighborhood dogs she'd let them roam around and the neighbors were all friends with the dogs they'd give them treats and play with them and she was about 75 years old so they always gave her jokes about wrestling around with her big muscular dogs you know and one night, she's wrestling around with her dogs. Everything's normal. Everything is as it should be until all of a sudden it isn't. The dogs, as if possessed, as if something just came over them, no longer are playing. They're trying to rip through this little 75 year old woman and they're doing a really good job at it one on one arm one on the other by the way again my condolences go out to the friends family and the neighbors of Miss Nancy in South Carolina um these are real tragic events, but these are very real. Um, is this necessarily a dogman incident? No. Everybody saw the dogs doing this, but this is something that is... Contr- um, but there was something malevolent controlling the dogs. There's something that took over the dogs and made them do it and I know that sounds really weird for me to say but even the neighbors said those were that was not the dogs normal activity these dogs were friendly they were gentle they were fun loving they were almost shy most of the time and then it was as if a flip got switched and they were possessed and they were ripping into this poor woman. As if they were trying to get to something. Unfortunately, Miss Nancy died. The neighbors ran to her aid trying to get these dogs off her. To no avail, one of the neighbors grabbed an axe that was nearby. Swung at the dog. Dog 
it didn't even phase the dog. He had to swing at the dog four times for this dog to actually realize what was going on. That is how intense this, for lack of a better word, we're just going to go with possession. This possession was of these dogs. This intent to kill was... And that's not the only incident. Also in South Carolina, before these other two events took place, in December of 2018, a lion, generally known for being shy and fun and generous, in a South Carolina zoo, somehow managed to get out of a completely locked cage and maul an intern who had only been at that zoo for two weeks. Now keep in mind this is not even necessarily a zoo, it's a wildlife in entanglement, it's a wildlife habitat. So to call it a zoo is really not adequate. But I will point out that this place is not the best kept, best maintained. And um, prior to this event, they did take on more lions and tigers than they should have. And it had been noted that the lions and tigers were being kept in unsatisfactory conditions that may have played a huge role in it it is stated that the lion got out of a locked facility I don't know how that's possible maybe somebody can explain that to me I think they're trying to cover something up maybe they left it unlocked Um, there is mention of a professional lion keeper going in and then going out and I think maybe he thinks he locked it and he didn't and they're saying that he locked it so they can cover their ass but um, if it truly was locked and this lion managed to find a way to phase through the gate or the wall or whatever That's a topic for another discussion. If, in fact, um, it wasn't the lion at all that killed this poor college grad, and they saw something else, and they decided to cover it up by just killing a lion, then that's a whole new level of sinister and sickness. Um, I'd really like to talk to the people... Um, that run that zoo, especially the line keeper. I've sent an email over to them once I heard, once I watched that article or that video on the article. I was absolutely astounded. There's so many holes in that story, so many things that could have gone wrong. I had to reach out. I had to see if there was a way to. Um, 
get more info, get more details. So I'm hoping to find out more about that one. Um, was there a dogman on in the area? And maybe that killed and ripped this poor girl apart? Because from what I understand, she was shredded. She was completely mauled. And there were witnesses, so I want to see if we have some kind of camera footage, if there's some kind of witness account, you know. And then I want to talk to the person who was in charge of going in and maintaining the lions, find out if he really did lock up that cage after he left. Because, you know, I think if one lion got out, multiple lions would have got out. Um, I don't think it would have been just one lion loose. And why would it have been the most gentlest of lion attacked? So... There's a lot of holes there, so stay tuned. I'm going to try to dig a little deeper into that one. I'm hoping to hear back. You know, sometimes it can take a while for these companies, these people to get back to you. And sometimes they don't get back to you at all. So keep our fingers crossed. Um, A lot of weird things going on in North Carolina and South Carolina, like I said. Um... Let's see. What else do we have? Let's just type in my favorite thing to type. Do 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 do. Oh, um, I'd like to reiterate. Uh, the woman that was wrestling with her dogs. I thought. She- my bad. I thought she was 75. She was actually 52. So that was my fault. I thought she was uh yeah, I thought she was 75. She's actually 52. I just got a uh message from one of my buddies who's in the other room and he just popped up on my computer and said, "Check your notes. She's 52 not 75 guess I got my uh, articles crossed so once again I'd like to take this time to uh, let all my listeners know that if you have any stories that you want to have shared if you have any Encounters you want to have read. If you want to talk, if you want to be on the show, email me. Um, leave me a message attached to any of my episodes. I'll get back to you. You can email me at hamcastusa at gmail.com. You can also email me at hamcast underscore usa at yahoo.com. Or you can shoot me a personal email at dcs61305 at comcast.net. I've got three emails set up. You guys can email me at either one. I check them all daily. Um, If you want to, just click email, email me and 
it'll send you straight to the Hamcast email, which is the Hamcast USA at gmail.com. You can also just hit um, leave a message and it will leave a message attached to. Hmm. Pardon me. It'll leave a message attached to the podcast that you're listening to. And you can do that to any of the episodes. Um, doesn't matter which episode you leave it on, I will be able to check it. Um, and don't hesitate. You don't have to leave your name. You don't have to disclose where you're at if you don't want to. I'm willing to share your stories. I'm willing to read whatever you want. There's no judgment here. Nothing is off the table. There is a judgment-free zone. I'm willing to listen if you're willing to talk. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are willing to listen as well. This is one of those platforms where it's just about talking and getting the story out there. Whether people listen or not is really up to them. But... Let the story be heard, at least. I came into this podcast with the intention of just using it as an outlet. Getting the information out there, and that's exactly what we're going to continue doing. We're not going to... Um, we're not going to continue... We're not going to continue trying um, trying to gain listeners or gain popularity. We're going to simply try to get people to open up. So lean on me. Let me be your voice. Once again, that email is hamcastusa at gmail.com. So, Dogman. A lot of people out there thinking that uh, Dogman is spiritual can't be flesh and blood like Bigfoot can't be uh, on this plane of existence let me ask you this do you really believe that Bigfoot is responsible for every single one of the structures that you guys see out there in those woods Really? Bigfoot has nothing better to do than just sit out there all day long in the woods, putting wood structures up. Now, don't get me wrong, I I wholeheartedly believe that Bigfoot, Sasquatch, is responsible for some of them. Like, part of my 
structure theory, and I'm only going to share part of it with you guys. Part of my structure theory, and this is partially due to some of the field work that people that I've watched on YouTube has done, because uh, I'm in a wheelchair and winter's kind of a pain in the ass for me, especially in a wheelchair. I'm not able to get out there as much as I'd like to. Um, so I have to go off the field research of others. But um, when I see people out there doing their field research, and I watch their you, I watch their videos religiously. Sometimes I'll watch the same videos multiple times. I drive my wife nuts when I do this, by the way. I will watch it over and over, and I'll rewind the same part, and I'll watch it 10, 15 times. I'll watch for inconsistencies, or I'll watch it for repetitive movements. And she's like, what in the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm studying. She's like, what? He's talking about wood. I'm like, no, he's talking about a structure. He's talking about a specific type of structure. And that structure is different from the last structure. She goes, no, it's not. I was like, yes, it is. She doesn't get it. She's starting to, but she doesn't fully get it. And my structure theory, part of it, okay, and this is just a small tease. So I fully believe that Bigfoot are responsible for the X's. But I believe the X's are there to protect them while they're sitting down, snacking on their food. Which is why every time there's an X, there's a perch or a spot where they sit. And you'll notice this if you actually pay attention to where the X's are. In every single one of the field researchers' video, there's an X. If they scan down to the floor, there's a spot, like almost a nest, where something large has been sitting. If they scroll around on the floor, there's always a pile of nuts or berries or pine cones even. There's always a pile of them. That's because that's where they sit and eat. And I believe that X acts as kind of a barrier for them. Um, you know, a spot where they know they can go and they can get stuff. Now, in Nordic times, X wasn't X. Okay, when we think X... A lot of the time we think, well, X marks the spot. Do you know why X always marked the spot? In Nordic times, X was G. Okay? X was literally G. X was the Nordic G. So, and G meant gift. So every time you see a G or an X, it was G. It was gift. So if you want to leave a gift for a Bigfoot... You want to leave it under an X. Make sense? You want to live, leave it at a tree. They're not going to go there. They're going to go to the X. You want to leave it near an X. Because that's where the gifts are. That's why they're piles of 
berries and pine cones and stuff are always under X's. That's where they sit. That's where they feed. That's where their stuff is. I believe they leave those berries, those pine cones, there for a reason. So yeah, anyway, um, sorry about that. Somebody came in and interrupted the podcast. We, uh... I wholeheartedly believe that... We have... A structure set up, and... A lot of re- a lot of the time, reason the reason that uh, the gifting system works or doesn't work is because one either they're used to you going into a certain area, and they're used to you leaving things, and so it works for you to be leaving things in that area, right, you've been going there for years, they're used to you being there, they're used to you leaving things there, and so it works, now, on the other side, if you're new to that area, they're not going to be picking up your stuff, they're just not going to be doing it, you're an imposter, you're, you're an intruder, not an imposter, but an intruder, and they're just not going to be picking up what you drop down unless you leave it where they're familiar with picking it up. And where they're familiar with picking stuff up is where the X's are. Because, just like I said, X marks the spot. And the reason X marks the spot is because X, in Nordic times, was a G. And I hope that makes as much sense to everybody as it makes... To, to me um, if it doesn't leave a comment uh, tell me what you think like I said that's just a slight tease into some of my uh, more elaborate thinking into the structures and that's just my theory um, doesn't mean my theory is necessarily right but doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong either um there's other theories out there uh i do find it very interesting that every time i put one of these theories out there it's not far it's not too far out not too far often that um I start hearing other people voice their theories, and their theories aren't far off of mine. So, and I don't know if it's coincidence, or if they're listening to my podcast, and they're finally like, well, if people are already putting it out there, then maybe it's okay, maybe I'm not crazy. You know, maybe it's just a comfort level. Maybe they're not comfortable with putting their opinions out there because they're afraid they're going to sound crazy. And maybe they figure, well, that guy, that guy right there, he's making it okay to sound crazy. 
Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just somebody's got to break the barrier. You know, I don't care. I don't care that people look at me like I'm crazy. I talk about this stuff in public. I do these podcasts sometimes on the train. You imagine what, how many looks I get when I'm talking about different frequencies and how, um, if you resonate on that frequency, you'll be able to travel to that other realm. I carry a quartz with me and I actually, funny thing, little tidbit of information about me, when I'm watching these videos, I keep a, a quartz in my hand. I keep a little piece of quartz in my hand and um, so when I'm watching these videos, I'm always watching them with quartz. I don't know if it helps, but I like to think it does. Um, I like to think that it opens up the possibility of having more interactions. So, I always carry a piece of quartz on me. Um, I like to think it speeds up my frequency. And this piece of quartz I've carried with me ever since my first um, Sasquatch encounter. Um, What's weird about it is the same style of quartz that we found over there at that encounter site. When we were cleaning up the lava rock along the side of our house, we found the same style of quartz kind of just sporadically tossed about inside the lava rock. So. I kept all that quartz too. And they were just little chunks and little tip tidbits, but this big piece of quartz. I like to say it's about half an inch by half an inch by a quarter of an inch. So it's half an inch by half an inch by a quarter of an inch. And I keep it in my hand. I keep it in my pocket. I take it with me. I'm eventually going to make a, a pendant out of it. And wear it around my neck. But. When I'm doing these podcasts. When I'm watching the videos. I use it as a way of. Relaxing. As a way of. tuning out the rest of the world and just focusing on what I should be seeing, what I shouldn't be seeing. And Peanut is telling me it's time to get off air. He wants to cuddle up and lay down, so... Don't you, little guy.
For everybody who doesn't know who Peanut is, he's my little mixed chihuahua. He's mixed with Mini Pit. He's just an adorable little guy. He's my support dog. And lets me know when I've been going too much, so... Everybody say goodbye to Peanut. I'm Heavy Ham. Everybody out there, stay frosty. Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes forward. And for everything that goes bump in the night, keep me in mind. I'm Heavy Ham. This has been another episode of Hamcast. Next episode, we will be talking about the Wendigo. What is it? Why has it been linked to Sasquatch. Very good question. Is it possible that we've misrepresented the Wendigo? Is it possible that we're mistaking some one thing for another? Stay tuned. Next, this coming up Saturday, we will be diving into the Wendigo myth, legend, and reality. Stay frosty, everybody. Mm-hmm.